Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls. I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today. Boys, good to see you. Hayden, it's been a while. Hey, sorry I'm late. I crashed my Pontiac Aztec into a light pole and had to walk the rest of the way, but I'm here now. That's what matters. Can you get me a glass of scotch, please, Hayden? Just two rocks in there. I don't like ice. We're starting already. This is happening. Okay, just give me the, give me the glass. Thank you. Okay, here we go. It's the most wonderful time to kill deer. With the rut now just starting and dashing and dotting and lanes cut and cleared. It's the most wonderful time to kill deer. There's far too much ice in this glass. It's the half happiest season of all. There's got to be at least 12 cubes. With grunting and bleeding and cold fronts and sleeting the last weeks of fall. It's the half-happiest season of all. There'll be pictures for posting and bragging and boasting in truck beds with big bucks in tow. There'll be narrow missed stories and tales of near glories of booner bucks missed with our bows. It's the most wonderful time to kill deer. Not just one, maybe two. There'll be no doze of blowing and luminox glowing and blood trail so clear. It's the most wonderful time to kill deer. Hey, excuse me, can I have a napkin, please? I just spilled some scotch on my loafers. I can't have dirty loafers in the studio. Yeah, well, thank you. Tailgate beers for drinking and big bucks of slinking and chasing and scent checking does. They'll be fighting and scraping and no more escaping and arrow shot true hitting home. Key change? What? No one told me that. It's the most wonderful time to kill deer. I was very unprepared for this. There'll be much morning sitting and cold fronts are hitting the dawn crisp and clear. It's the most wonderful time. Oh, the most wonderful time. Yes, the most wonderful time to kill deer. 
There's too much ice in the glass. Two rocks. Okay. There we go. It's time to continue the good times. Let's get to my conversation with Clint Casper. All right. With me now on the line, I have the one and only Clint Casper. Clint, welcome to the podcast, man. My man, Mark. Appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this. It's been a couple of weeks since we've uh, talked about doing this, and uh, the whole time I've been like, man, this is, this is going to be fun. I, I was definitely looking forward to coming on. I'm um, excited to be here. I am too. I'm really glad it worked out. Um, you're someone who you know I've been able to watch from afar for, for quite a number of years now and been able to tune into some of the podcasts you guys do, and I've read your articles, and I've always been like, man, i got to get that guy in the show, and it just hasn't worked out yet. So uh, it, it's been a long time coming, but uh, sometimes the best of things are worth waiting for. So, uh, Clint, uh, I appreciate that and also appreciate the fact that you are doing this. You're talking to me right after getting back in from the mountains. You're out in Utah right now, right? Yes, correct. Correct, my man. I just uh, just got off the mountain here about an hour ago and had a long day of chasing bulls and bucks around in the snow and cold. And, uh, yeah, man, I'm, I was looking forward to I'm like, you know what? I'm going to come inside, get a shower, get kind of rejuvenated, do this podcast. That's going to be fun. And then, uh, yeah, it'll be uh, sleep time here in a few hours and uh, recharged, hopefully, for another, uh, I think, tomorrow morning. They're talking, I think, up on the mountain range I'll be on. I think it's going to be a, a super balmy nine degrees tomorrow. So Ooh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's always that's always something to look forward to. But the bucks are rutting out here like crazy, man. So I'm super stoked about that. Um, yeah, I can't wait to get back after it. That's awesome. Well, uh, that uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny you mentioned – this trip that you're on right now, and I know that you are just a grinder. Like if, if there's anything I've noticed about you from afar, you are, you, you grind, like you just put in the time you're going nonstop. You're traveling all over the country. You're doing whitetail stuff. You're doing Western stuff. You are a worker. Um, I guess, let me take a step back. Am I right on that? If I were to like put a label on you or if I were to say like this is the kind of guy Clint is, is that right? Did I, did I peg it or is there something else? Is there some other way you would define if you had to overgeneralize and define like what kind of hunter you are? Is that it or something else? No, man, that's, that's spot on. I mean, I'd love to say I'm the most athletic guy on the mountain or in the woods or the best shot or the, uh, I mean, I, I, I do have to say, I do think I'm one of the better looking ones. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Confidence, man, I like it. Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, <clears throat> No, I mean, you, you know, I, I kind of got it from my dad, um, you know, that the guy's just a workaholic and, and a grinder and he's just, you know, growing up on a dairy farm, um, get, you know, I still farm with him full time and, and just kind of watching him from being a little kid. He's just been a grinder, man. I mean, the guy just puts his head down and, and nose to the grindstone. And that's just, you know, that's kind of, I guess you could say that's what I put my, my dollar on when it comes to hunts is, um, you know, I just always feel like, Hey, there's probably somebody up here that can outshoot me, that can out hike me. Uh, that's probably in better shape or, you know, whatever, but I just, I feel like I don't get outworked, you know, I mean, I might not win the race, um, to the top, but I'm the guy that just every single day is going to keep after it, whether it's chasing a big white tail just day after day after day, or it's just putting in the miles, you know, chasing bulls and bucks, um, on a mountain. I just feel like, you know, the guys that, the guys that are in that 10% club, um, and that's the club I always want to be in. I feel like 10% of the guys kill about 90% of the animals out there, especially with 
with me, I've just been bull only for going on about 10 or 11 years now. Um, loved gun hunting and grew up doing it, but, but, uh, you know, bow hunting is just my jam. And, um, I just feel like for me, it's, if I grind and I'm, I'm, I talk about the three P's a lot, um, persistence, patience, and perseverance. I mean, it's just kind of what I stand on. I, I'm just the guy that's, that's real consistent and constant. And I just feel like sooner or later, um, if a guy grinds and grinds and grinds, he's going to luck himself into an opportunity. And then at that point, it's just about confidence and bending the limbs back. And, you know, I mean, I've, I've got a shooter mentality. Um, I'm not afraid to miss. So it's, it's kind of one of those deals where I feel, I feel pretty dangerous once I get back to full draw, but sometimes it takes me all season to get, you know, get, get on that white tail, or it takes me 30, 40 days to get on that specific muley or that elk or whatever. And I'm okay with that though. I, I like it, honestly. I mean, it's, uh, it's fun for me to look back on seasons and be like, man, I hunted that buck 70 some days, or man, I was in the mountains 56 days or, you know, I mean, I, I kind of, I don't know. I guess I've just grown to really like, like to be, I guess you could say the guy that looks back on a season, even seasons when, when I don't kill a lot last year, I killed a whitetail and didn't fill any Western tags, but I hunted more out West than I ever did. And I look back on that and I was proud of that. You know, I mean, I didn't punch tags, but I also didn't settle. I had goals and I'm like, Hey, if I go down swinging, I go down swinging, Mm -hmm. but, um, it was a grind and a ton of miles. And, um, you know, it's something that, I kind of pride myself on is, you know, like you said, just being a grinder and it seems to pay off. Not, not every time, but it does seem like that gets me into opportunities. And then from there, it's just all about, you know, making the right moves in the final 15, 20 seconds to, you know, to make an ethical shot and, and get a buck or a bull killed to punch a tag. So yeah, man, no, you were spot on. I really appreciate that. Um, definitely uh, head down and, and uh, you know, both feet forward type of guy. That's for sure. That's, yeah. that's kind of, kind of where, um, I guess you could say I'm, I'm trying to make my, uh, make my living off of is, is that mentality. Well, it's, it's, it's because of that, that I think that you are the like 2000% best person we can talk to for today's podcast, because what I want to do, um, is, is kind of address where I think a lot of people's heads are right now. So when this episode mm-hmm. drops, it's going to be November yep. 25th fourth i believe nice and so i I don't know how you feel on november 24th but i can tell you how i feel some years and how i think a lot of people feel is is you know september or october 1 whenever your opening day is of whitetail season like you're filled with hope right you've got you're super optimistic this is going to be one hell of a year and then as october rolls along you're like oh well late october is going to be great so that's okay and if things don't go good that's all right because you know october 27th is just around the corner and there might be that big cold front and then that doesn't work out maybe and then it's well early november is going to be sweet it's going to be great and it's only going to get better and then that doesn't work out and then maybe November 7th is the best day of the rut. I know it's going to happen then. And and then that doesn't happen. And then you get to like that 10th or 12th or 13th. And you're like, ah, golly, it's getting locked down. And Bob, it could still happen. But once you get to late November, and if you still haven't filled your tag or if you haven't achieved whatever goal it is, I think a lot of people, myself included, you get to late November. And that's when you're like, oh, crap. Like this, we're getting, I'm getting nervous. I'm getting nervous. Because what we've been hyping up all year, the best of the best for most people is behind us. So tell me this, Clint. When you get to this time period during your, your whitetail season, late November, and you haven't yep. killed a deer yet, how yep. are you feeling? Are you nervous? Are you getting stressed out? Or do you feel like there's still good stuff ahead? 
to be honest with you, I'm getting excited because if I'm being totally <laughs> honest with you, I hate the rut. Um, and, and people right now are probably like, what? This who's guy this guy? Even <laughs> yeah, yeah, who's this guy? So my whole philosophy on whitetails, and it's been this way since, you know, I've been hunting him since I was 13, just turned 34. Um, so, you know, over 20 years of bow hunting, you know, bucks, um, I have learned, and, and this is just what works for me, but patterns kill big deer. Um, I look around at all the bucks I've killed that are on hanging on my wall and 99% of those bucks, it was a pattern deal. Uh, very few were just a random luck. My deal is, has always been specific bucks. Um, I love the chess match. I love to find a buck learn a buck, study a buck, and then slip into his bedroom or slip into his dining room or slip into the living room and kill him. And that, that's just my jam. So the rut stresses me out because I'm a pattern guy. Patterns mm-hmm. kill big white tails. So for me, um, those first few weeks in November are very stressful because patterns typically are thrown out the door. But as the late, as you get later into the rut, um, I have found that patterns start to show again bucks transition back home i'm now locating bucks again in places that i did prior to the rut patterns are forming um i also feel like you know and this is just my own personal opinion but i think your biggest white tails around are on their feet more in daylight towards the end of the rut than any other time because they know that window to breed is closing and for a big white tail it's not like they're like us where Hey, we can go have sex and at any point in time for, <laughs> yeah. for 12 months out of the year. Yeah. A big white tail knows, especially a five, six, seven year old buck. He's been around the block. He knows that window gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And he's got three needs. He's got a food and water for one. He needs cover and he's got the need to breed. So, I mean, that, that breed need, he can't do that every day. So I feel like mature bucks are more on their feet. They, they may do more roaming or you might have more random bucks passing through because they're searching, you know, frantically searching for the last wave of hot does or, oh my gosh, I need to find another doe or two before this is all said and done. And they know that's coming. They know that window's closing on. So for me, Man, I'll be honest, I get super stoked around that Thanksgiving time. I've had great luck, great success with big mature deer from like the 20th to like that 27th, 28th. That's honestly probably maybe my favorite week of the entire month of November, <laughs> um, you know, for, for the reasons I just stated. I, I do feel like patterns start to show again, and you've got big mature bucks on their feet moving a lot in daylight because they know they're on a time crunch. Yeah. How long do you think that window lasts? So I know you mentioned the 20th to the 27th is your favorite, but uh, do yep. you see that lingering into December at all? Or when do oh, you, yeah. like, what's that look like, that time frame? Yep. Yeah, I really do. I mean, I think even into December, you've still got that second wave of does. You've got yearlings that didn't get caught the first time, or maybe they didn't hit estrus on the first wave that they're now coming in. I mean, I've had some great, great, great rut hunt into December. Now, I wasn't exactly planning on that to happen, right. but I've seen frantically great rutting action. I've seen, you know, honestly, probably the best buck fight of my life um, with whitetails 
two big typicals, probably 155 to 160 a piece, just absolutely go at it almost to the death. Um, and that was on December 7th. I believe it was like 2017, 2018. I'll never forget it. Um, and that's, that's the best whitetail buck fight, but it was over a yearling. Um, and she, you know, she, you could tell she was hot. Um, and I'm sure that was her first cycle. And those, you know, obviously those two bucks knew, Hey, you know, there's not a bunch of does that are left to breed. So it was going to be a fight to the death. Um, and you know, the, the one ended up backing down, but I mean, it was probably 15, a good 10 to 15 minutes. They locked up seven or eight times. Jeez. The one buck, the one buck took a big, uh, he took a G2 to the side of the neck. He was bleeding out both sides. I mean, oh yeah, I, wow. I, I thought, I thought he was going to die. Um, I never found him. I got pictures of him in January, so he ended up making it. But I mean, I, I really thought he, he was going to walk away and fall over. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, but this was all at like 80, 90 yards. I actually got down and tried to make a stock on them because they were so tied up with each wow. other. Um, yeah, but that was December 7th. So yeah, I do think it lingers in, and I think you can get into some great rut activity um, for sure. Um, you know, and and I think a lot of guys maybe don't see this because I do think a lot of guys. I just wrote an article uh, to last year. Um, I write full time for Peterson's Bow Hunting, and and I wrote an article for them, and it was titled "Don't Get in a Rut During the Rut." Yep. I think a lot of guys get in a rut during the rut and they they lose their mind because it's such a guessing game and towards the end of the rut i think a lot of guys hang the bows up and i think a lot of guys hang the guns up and and they're like you know what we're going to take time off and we're going to go watch football we're going to enjoy thanksgiving we're going to go do all this other stuff and i think guys miss a great window last week of november first week of december there's still some great rut hunting taking place and patterns are starting to form again bed to feed feed to bed you got bucks going back to their homelands to try to find any does that they missed i love that time and i've killed a lot of great bucks during that time but it's funny hardly anybody is hunting right then and there and i think a lot of guys they've gotten in this rut um so years ago i was guilty of this um i actually wrote the article based off of me because back in my late teens, early twenties. Um, I've always been a big all day guy. Um, I love saddles. I love funnels. I love to hunt. If I'm going to hunt the rut, I like to go in all day and I like to just see how it pans out. So I'd hunt 13, 14, 15 days in November. I remember the one year I hunted 19 days, dark till dark. Um, not in a row, but in the month of November, I had 19 of them. And I used to, I used to run myself down, lose 10, 12, 15 pounds. And I would get myself to the point where hunting wasn't even fun. Mm -hmm. And I was in this rut. And then I would take a week or two off, and then I'd get back after it again. Well, I was missing fantastic hunting because I was burning myself out the first three weeks and then hanging the bow up for a week or two, and then I got back after it. And I was missing this window. Um, so I had to adapt to that and basically get myself out of these ruts in the rut. <clears throat> and I think a lot of guys are guilty of that. Um, and it's something that, you know, it's easy to do because the rut is awesome when it's awesome. And it's terrible when it's terrible. So it's, gosh, that's the truth. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it really is. I mean, the rut is the greatest thing ever when it's awesome. And it's the worst thing ever. And I know you just experienced in my home state what sounds like a not so great um, rut experience. That will burn a guy out quick. Yeah, it will. You go five, six, seven days 
and that farm you're on or that piece of property or piece of public, if it's just not happening and it's dead, the rut can be one of the worst times ever to hunt deer mm-hmm. because if it's not happening there, there's nothing going on. That's just how it is. It's either all or nothing. So I think the rut itself can put guys in a rut. And if you don't mentally know how to reel yourself back in or pull yourself out of that ditch that you've dug for yourself, um, I think it can really be detrimental, you know, to, to kind of the rest of your season. It, it really like deflates your tires, we'll say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I 100% can relate to that. And I, I've been that guy many times before too. Um, yeah, me too. So, so uh, let's say we've convinced some folks to keep at it and hopefully, you know, hopefully they haven't burnt themselves out so much. They can yep. still get after it still. This can be a little bit of a confusing time for people because of what you just described a minute ago. This fact that, you know, there's still running stuff happening going, going on, but then also some deer going back to their bed to feed patterns. So you've got like a, yep. do I hunt rut tactics or do I hunt, you know, late season, mm-hmm. you know, bedding to feeding type patterns. Mm-hmm. How do you approach when, when we're at the very end of November or the first week of December, which mm-hmm. one of those two things are you doing? Or do you have some hybrid approach that allows you to take advantage of both of those different possible patterns? So for me, I'm, I'm going to break it down in two ways. So if you're the guy like me, mostly every single year, I've got a specific buck I'm targeting. Um, if you're that guy, we'll start with him. What I have found is a lot of these bucks that end up leaving their home ground. So let's say I've hunted a buck our season starts in Ohio, the end of September. I know he's a South wind guy on this farm at, at, you know, he beds and feeds and does everything in daylight. It's based off of a South wind. Um, come November, he disappears. I'm not seeing him. He's not on camera. He's just not there. He has ventured off. Maybe he bred a few does on his home turf. Now he's heading to go rut other places. Okay. Now we're getting towards the end of the rut. So we're in those 20, the, you know, the dates of like the 20, 21st, 22nd, we're getting close to Thanksgiving. What I have found is a lot of these bucks will start to migrate back to homeland because they know from experience, they did not breed every doe. So they're going to come back to home. You know, they're coming back to home. And I mean, you could almost kind of in a way, you know, relate this back, I guess, to, you know, Somebody that's, I guess, you know, maybe you've, you've, you've traveled around for a few months, you know, things have been great, whatever, but all of a sudden it's like, you're like, okay, well, it's time to go, time to go back home. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, that's, that's just kind of, or it's like, you know, the young kid that's 21, that he's got his local hometown bars where he knows all the girls are there. (laughs) And then he decides he's going to venture off and he's going to go three towns over and he's going to do that for a few weekends. But ultimately at some point he's going to come back to what he knows. Well, I've found these bucks will do the same thing. So I try to get ahead of that. If I know a buck on that farm loves certain winds and likes to bed in certain places, I've got cameras running there on scrapes. I'm hunting transition zones. I'm trying to get ahead of the game knowing he's going to return. Now, at this stage in the game, does are obviously still huge because there are does still going to be coming into estrus. Maybe they missed the first cycle. Maybe some yearlings are coming in. So I'm paying very close attention to what they're doing, bed to feed. So pattern-wise, I'm almost paying more attention to the doe patterns at this time, knowing that the bucks are going to follow. 
So that's kind of been my recipe for success is, okay, what did this buck like? He liked south winds. He used to bed here. This is what he was doing. Okay, I'm going to now look for those days, look for these places. Okay, what are my does doing? Okay, my dad just cut a cornfield a half a mile south. It's hot. That's the hot food source. Now I'm trying to put the puzzle pieces together. Okay, south wind. I know where he liked to bed. Here's the hot food source. The does are piling in. I'm trying to connect the dots, and I'm basically waiting on that buck to show up. Now, if you're the guy that has no specific buck, and he's just looking for any good buck, you're even in better shape, in my opinion, because I feel like not only are those home bucks going to return back to your farm, but you're also going to have some bucks that are frantically searching anywhere and everywhere because they know that window's closing. So maybe they're going to come over to your farm and check things out for a day or two. Now, they might not be there for long, but if you're there hunting and you've got opportunities, because I do think, and what I've seen is mature bucks, I think they start to shrink that area that they're running in, and I think they start to migrate closer back to where their core home area is. But I've still seen a lot of roamer bucks that probably lived two farms over or lived a half mile away that are frequenting my farm here and there a little bit that I've not seen all year, trying to find that hot doe, or maybe it's a yearling coming into heat. So there again, you know, I think if you can figure out what the does are doing, regardless of whether you're hunting a specific buck or just any good buck, if you can start to put the patterns together of, okay, where's the hot food source? Where probably are all my does bedding right now? Those but you're going to have bucks circle back in there. And see, I, I like that because in my mind, that gives me more confidence than say November 7th, where there are no patterns. The does are scared to death. You don't know what they're doing on a daily basis. We have no clue what our bucks doing on a daily basis. We don't even know what bucks are around. Later on in the month, those patterns start to show. For me, that's a confidence booster. I like that. Like I said, I'm all about patterns kill big deer, and that's what works for me. Um, you know, so I get excited come that late time because I can start to use trail cameras. I can glass fields. I can start to put pieces together of what are my does doing? Okay, what are my cameras showing? I'm starting to now put pieces together on what these bucks are probably going to be doing. And I try to get ahead of that game and that seems to work out really good for me. Yeah. Now I've tried to use this same philosophy in the earlier parts of November. And the problem is, is the does are not consistent because they're scared to death half the time. The does that aren't in heat are still getting chased, still getting run around. So their bed to feed, feed to bed, it's all over the place. So it's hard to pattern them. It's hard to figure out, obviously, what the bucks are doing because the rut just started. So every buck in the country is covering as many miles as he can, trying to find that first hot doe or find a hot doe. So this philosophy has not worked well for me early on in November because the patterns just aren't there. But come later on, it really seems like that pattern game can really put you in the hot seat, um, especially if you're able to combine some scouting, and some trail cameras, you know, the cell cams are all the rage in today's world. And this is a great time to go throw them on a hot scrape, throw them on a field edge of a, a cornfield that was just cut. Or maybe you've got a standing uh, food plot, two acres of standing beans or something. I mean, you can really be in the money if you can figure out hot food source, where we're going to bed. You know, now, like I said, we can start to kind of triangle this pattern back together. Um, that gives me a lot of confidence.
coming yeah. coming off of just the chaos of the rut, being able to put some patterns together, I, I'm like I said, that gets me super pumped. I, I feel like that's putting more tools in my tool bucket. Yeah, I, I get that. I can I can see how that's an appealing thing because you get kind of that. It's a little bit of what I think makes late October special because yeah. late October they're yeah. still on a pattern, but you're beginning oh, yeah. to get some of that extra rut movement without the oh, yeah. total craziness. And this is kind of the same yep. thing. You've got yep. there's still a little bit of that extra movement, but you begin to return yep. to the patterns. Um, so a big part of what you're talking about is it seems like if you're trying to target that single buck, we get to this yep. time period, you refocus on that core range and then you're kind of waiting for him to show back up. So either with cameras yep. or maybe observation, um, yep. you mentioned a couple of those different places you might put cameras when you were talking about that, a random question popped in my mind, which has been something I've been kind of trying to get a handle on in my own personal hunts in mm-hmm. Ohio. So you're, you're yep. an Ohio guy and I've hunted Ohio quite a number of years and then disappeared for the last three, four years, had other things going on, couldn't get down there. I got back down there this year and I had talked to so many different people this year who all told me, man, if you don't put out corn, you're not going to see them. I've never done that in the past down there. I've never had problems. And then this year, two different places I was at, I didn't put out corn. Everyone's like, man, you're not going to see any deer. You're never going to get them. Um, what's this is kind of off topic, I realize, but this just kind of popped in my mind. And I got to ask how you have seen in a baiting state like Ohio, yep. does it really impact things when you're trying to get a deer in a pattern, when you're trying to take inventory of deer, when you're trying to do anything like that? D- does that actually make a difference if you aren't using bait, but all the neighbors are? It, does that ever happen? It, does it factor in or not for you? I guess is what, I'm, what I'm getting at. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's, that's the nature of the beast. Um, you know, there's great things about being able to do run bait in Ohio and then there's, there's negatives. I mean, and, and that's one thing that it is rough about baiting is I feel like it, you educate people, educate a ton of deer very quick off of corn piles. Um, people also turn deer, especially mature deer, uh, buck specifically nocturnal, very quick where they might hit that bait pile consistently 60 days out of 60 days every single night, but you may not have one day where it's daylight. Um, it's almost like you're training a dog to only eat. Um, you know, you only put his food in the silver dish, not in the black dish. Okay. So you're training him to only eat out of the silver dish. These bucks, I do feel like people, I think there's a stigma of, oh, if I throw some corn down in Ohio, I can kill a 150. And I really wish it was that simple because sign me up for that. Um, <laughs> but I think it's the opposite. I think, so, I mean, I've hunted whitetails in a lot of states. I've been fortunate to kill whitetails in a lot of states. I've never seen whitetails look up even half as much as my Ohio whitetails do. I think they are conditioned to look up and I think a lot of that is guys hunting over bait, not playing the wind, not not really hunting it correctly, constantly hunting over a bait pot. You know, you're educating deer. So to answer your question, I guess in short terms, yes. If you've got a farm that's surrounded by guys baiting constantly, I bet you those guys have a ton of deer staying on them, coming and feeding off them daylight activity versus night i bet you it's a huge margin i bet you the gap is huge there i will guess it's a ton of nighttime very little daytime 
But is that sucking deer away from the farm you're on if you have no food at all? Oh, absolutely, 110%. Um, And that is just the brutal reality of it. Now, if you've got food plots or you've got, say, standing beans or you've got something to compete with that, you're okay. But if you've got, let's just say, timber, and your neighbors all around you have, um, they're running bait piles. So there is accessible corn there all the time. Those deer figure out real quick. We can eat all night, be back to bed before it's daylight, not show up until after dark. And realistically, unless they're betting on you, they really don't need to come through your woodlot. I mean, honestly, they really don't. Unless pressure pushes them there or that's where they bed. So you're kind of caught in this very weird scenario where, okay, at this point now, you've got to do food plots or bait or do something to pull deer back to you because they're all on the outskirts or the edges or they're all on the neighboring farms. And, and it can be super frustrating. I mean, I've had some really good farms um, get ruined that were like um, big timber pieces and all around me, the neighbors were running a couple hundred pounds of, 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 of bait piles and which is hundred percent legal. And, you know, Hey, I mean, I'll be the first to tell you, I, I mean, I'm not against by any means running corn, running bait. I mean, I mean, there's certain farms where I do it myself, but it sucks if you're the guy on the outside looking in there, um, almost to the point where you're forced to do it in a way. So like the saying is, oh, I got to keep up with the Joneses. The Joneses, mm-hmm. put, the Joneses put a new fence up. I got to put a new fence up. The Joneses just reshingled their house with metal. I got to do that to mine. They just painted their, their door blue. I'm going to paint mine red. It, it's almost kind of the same thing in a way. If all your neighbors are doing all this and you're not, you could be on the outside looking in, which is now forcing you to either, A, not see a bunch of deer and just accept that, or now you've got to make a change and either compete with them or figure out how to adapt your property into having food, a food source, whether it's a food plot or you're going to bait or you're going to run um, some standing crops or whatever it is, but now you're caught in the crossfire, yeah. which, like I said, that's, that's the good and the bad. You know, I mean, I mean, the, the baiting thing, um, I mean, it can be a great thing. If used properly, I think it can be another really good tool. I think it can be another great technique. Um, but I don't think a lot of people honestly hunt via bait the correct way. Um, I think it's just, let's, slap a stand up 20 yards over it and let's just hunt the, sh- the crap out of it. And a 150 should show at some point. Um, I think a lot of out of state guys feel like that's how you can come to Ohio and kill a big deer. And I always chuckle because, you know, if it was that easy, everybody and their brother would be killing a big deer doing yeah. that. And it's, it's, it's just not that simple. It'd be the 90% club instead of the 10% oh, club. Oh, <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something. 
because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Hey, guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some MEATEATER Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls because I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him, but I just have Yanni use his. Then I'll have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today. Let's imagine this hypothetical scenario where someone is maybe right now, this time of year, we're, we're listening to this podcast. They have been dealing with that problem and they've yep. been they've been like, man, I don't know why my little farm I've got access to. Maybe this is their first year hunting it and it's just dead. Um, then you catch wind that, oh, yeah, this neighbor and that neighbor and this neighbor, yep. they've been running corn, they've got feeders, yada, yada, yep. yada. And so they hear yep. what you're saying, and they're hearing you say, man, sometimes you do need to you know stick mm-hmm. with the Joneses. If someone wanted to try to start running some bait to try to see if yep. they can right the ship and still get some yep. action, what's the yep. right way to do that? If you were going to start now in season, is there any mm-hmm. way to do that in a way that could lead to some good late season success still? And if so, yeah. how would you do it? I mean, I think I think if you're going to run bait, I think there's a couple key factors you got to look at. Number one, you got to have a location where deer will feel safe in daylight. So um, for me, I'm not going to go dump 300 pounds of corn on the edge of a wide open field that's but that was that used to be standing beans. Now it's wide open. I'm just going to dump it on the edge and hope that a big buck's going to show up in daylight. I, that's not going to be my spot. Um, I'm going to want something that I can get in and get out, but it's secluded. Um, to me, I think the biggest problem with, with the bait thing is deer have to feel safe in daylight being around that area. So if it's a wide open space, a wide open field, big bucks typically don't feel safe there anyway in daylight. Um, outside of the rut, it's, it's, not like a ton of big deer like to just hang out along the edge of some big wide open field, um, just hanging out for everyone to see. That's just usually not what, how that goes. At least for me, I've never been lucky and had that really take place. 
if someone else has great, I'm jealous of you, but yeah. I, I would look for, you know, I look for seclusion. I'm also looking for South facing slopes. I'm a big South facing slope guy in late season because that's where deer are getting all the sunlight. You've also got the most growth that's going to stay there. If you do get some more, some warm spells, you've got the most tender greenery there. So for me, I'm looking at, okay, South facing slope. How can I get into this spot to hunt it? Not be seen, not be heard. I want to be able to get in there and refill my bait. You know, that's important. So you don't want to be blowing deer out constantly going in, going out. So there's, you know, so we've already touched on a couple key factors here. And then um, the wind's a big one. So I think where guys really mess up with baiting is they don't play the wind. And it's not just, okay, well, this buck likes the south wind, so I'm going to put a bait pile and hang a stand for a south wind. Um, and that's just, that's, that's all I've got to do. Um, sooner or later, he's going to come walking in. Okay, well, the problem here with this is what guys do is they don't stick to that. So they stick to that for maybe a few hunts and then they get sloppy. Now we're hunting it on and well, it's an east wind. Let's see what happens. In my opinion, if you blow a big buck off a bait pile like that and he wins you one time in daylight, I think you've really tipped him off. In Ohio, these bucks have been hunting for a couple months now. So if you get tipped off like that, I think you've really, really, really decreased your odds. Um, so I'm not a huge proponent. I would tell guys, I don't really want to hunt right over, quote unquote, the bait. I want to kill a buck coming to it. I think a lot of bucks like to get to a food plot or, or a bait station right at last light, which makes sense. Um, they're nervous. I've, I've seen, you know, I've, I've watched countless big deer come into food plots, come into standing beans, come into a bait pile. They're nervous. They know they need it. They want it, but they're a nervous wreck once they get there. But I watched them for 10 minutes at a hundred yards away, just meander around and look at the squirrels and look up in the air and not a care in the world. That's where I want to hunt. So for me, I don't want, if a buck gets spooked, I don't want him to correlate me in the food plot or me in the bait pile. I want him to just be like, okay, something doesn't seem right. I'm going to back out of here. That's okay. But I'm a hundred yards away, you know? So I like to hunt deer transitioning to or from these spots. I think your odds of tipping them off are lower. And I think you can play with the wind a little more. So you can maybe hunt two out of the four winds instead of just one because you're not hunting right over that bait you know so i've got a direction of okay this deer's bedding over here he's going to work in front of my stand heading to the food plot heading to the the corn pile heading to the standing beans chances are that's going to be a pretty consistent pattern so now i can probably base that off of two different winds so now 50 percent of the time i should be able to slip in there and hunt the problem with over the corn is you basically have like one wind that's going to work really good for him. So now you've got to make that one wind work really great for you too. It's pretty hard to do that because you're sitting right over the bait. So for me, I want to be off. I want to catch that buck in a very relaxed manner. Maybe he's a hundred yards away. He's not close enough yet to where he's getting nervous. You know, he's 30 minutes away from it being dark. He's just kind of doing his thing, but he's working up to it. 
I feel like if guys were to hunt more like that, I think food plots, bait piles, even standing crops, I think odds would drastically go up because you got to remember these deer have been hunted for a few months. So at this point, if they get tipped off to anything, the gig's up, they're out of there. You know, they hear something, uh, they, they get a whiff of anything they don't like. They see you, you know, there, there's a lot working against you here. So you've got to really have your T's crossed and your I's dotted. And I think this lets you get away with a little more than being right over the food plot, right over the bait pile, right over the standing beans. You know, at that point, if you screw up, um, they are going to correlate that immediately with, whoa, daylight, danger, no, nope, nope, nope. Like, I mean, it, it might be, I had a buddy last year, had a big deer pattern, standing beans. He was hunting right over the beans. The buck winded him. This deer was on a pattern five days in a row. My buddy was waiting on the right wind. The wind shifts. Thermals actually are what got him in my opinion, but regardless, the wind shifts on him. Um, the buck busts him at 60 yards. This was on like January. I want to say it was like the 10th. That deer did not daylight again till February eighth our season ended the sixth that deer daylighted for five days in a row broad daylight i mean 30 minutes of shooting light broad daylight he got busted one time and that buck said nope not anymore and it was seven o'clock eight o'clock seven thirty i think the closest time was six thirty and that was an hour hour and 15 minutes past shooting light so i mean one time now mind you this was a six and a half seven and a half year old buck Still, regardless, even a three or four year old deer, they've been around the block long enough. They, you know, they, they can put that together. Hey, whew, no good. Smelled something I didn't like. That was the end. And, and we had brutal cold temps, two foot of snow. I mean, January was rough last year and that buck absolutely would not hit that plot until after dark, after he got winded, wouldn't do it. Not until literally two days after season, he daylighted for the first time. Your margin for error is just so much smaller once you get to that later oh, portion really of the year, is. isn't it? It really is. Yep. Yeah. Um. So I want to I want to rewind just a little bit and touch on one more yep. rut, late rut related thing before I dive fully into this next late season topic. Um. Back to that late pre rut. I kind of took us off track with the corn question, but um. Yep. When when you are in that late November, early December period still, yep. I think a lot of what you just talked about still applies. But one question yep. that I still was curious about is kind of your rut hunting philosophy. I think there's mm-hmm. there's two camps of people, I think, and I think most of mm-hmm. us combine these two things. But you have some folks that like during the rut, whether it be early rut or maybe in this case the late rut, some folks yep. like to bounce around. It's like yep. looking for hot sign, looking for hot action here. And yep. if it's not happening today, they yep. go to the next draw and see if it's happening there. And if it's not going there, they're yep. going to hike around midday and look at this and they're bouncing, bouncing, yep. bouncing. There's another group of folks that have this man. I'm going to stick it out mentality where they're going to find mm-hmm. that great pinch point or they're going to find that saddle in the ridge or they're going to find an awesome doe bedding area that sets up really nice and they've got a bulletproof wind that blows out over a pond or something. They say, man, if I sit here dawn to dusk for three straight days or five straight days, eventually mm-hmm. that big buck's going to come through and they'll just wear that spot out and volume hunt it because they believe in it. Yep. Do you prefer one over the other or when do you choose one or the other at this time of the rut, the late rut? Um, I know I've heard you talk about 
really liking being mobile, but I'm curious, yep. you know, if that applies in this situation or not. So I'm a, I'm, I'm a confidence guy. Confidence is key. Um, I think if you are confident in a spot and that's what you believe in, that's what you need to do. Um, I think if you're the guy that's like, nope, I need to bounce. I need to look for hot sign. When I find hot sign, that gives me confidence. I'm going to hunt that. Then I think that's what you need to do. I don't think there's really a right or a wrong answer um, to that question. I think it's a great question for me personally. It usually floats back and forth from year to year. Um, I usually try to bounce around in the middle of the early to middle of the rut. I try to bounce around and then closer to the end of the rut, I try to get real specific and real calculated on what I'm doing because I'm focusing more on, okay, my buck should be coming back at some point. Um, so if I find hot sign on a freshly cut cornfield or I find hot sign on the downwind side of a doe bedding area that's a couple hundred yards off some beans that we just cut or, you know, I'm, I'm looking for puzzle pieces. And once I start to find some puzzle pieces put together, that's kind of what I'm doing. Um, I'm not jumping around as much, uh, quote unquote, being mobile as far as you know, place to place, spot to spot, I'm more or less trying now to key in on, okay, what spots are going to be hot right now? And once I find those spots, I'm going to camp out. So I'm kind of combining them a little bit because I do want to see, okay, what's happening right now? Where's hot sign? Where, what are, what are the does doing? Where do they like to be? Okay. Now I've got these two things pinned down okay, my buck hasn't showed up yet, but chances are I feel like he's going to come back at any moment in time. So now I'm going to transition and I'm going to hunt these spots that in my mind are hot and I'm going to probably volume hunt them and hope that I do bounce into him. Now, the other side of this coin, um, if you're not hunting a specific buck, I do think right now is a great time to say, okay, I got hot scrapes opened up on the other side of my farm. There's some fresh sign. There's some big rubs. Hey, I, you know what? Throw caution to the wind. I'm going over there and I'm going to hunt it for a day or two and see what happens. If nothing happens, I'm going to bounce around to the other side. I mean, like I said, I, I can see both sides and I've done both. Um, for me, I do tend to kind of side with the, I do want to find fresh hot sign, but I'm probably going to camp there for a while because in my opinion, now deer are more on the pattern type game. So those hot spots should stay hot for a while. And that's going to be based off probably food, um, what the does are doing. So I'm going to focus a lot of attention on finding the hot sign via feed, via the does. Buck sign should now be there. Um, that's kind of where I'm going to camp out and, and I'm only going to make moves if something's telling me that I'm not in the correct spot. Maybe I need to move a hundred yards uphill or maybe I need to, you know, uh, swing around to the other side of this, this bedding area. That's been really hot. You know, like I, I, I might make little calculated moves, but I'm not going to make giant jump over to the next farm or move a mile away type stuff. I'm going to stay pretty committed to that. But like I said, though, I'm focusing on those patterns and I'm hoping that if I put all my eggs in that basket, that's confidence for me, it's going to pay off eventually. Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. But 
for me, that gives me confidence um, to kind of go back to that. Um, but but I, I definitely can see, and I've been the guy that just continues to bounce. I'm going to hunt this funnel. I'm going to hunt this doe thicket. I'm going to hunt the edge of this food plot tomorrow night. I mean, definitely both sides of that coin can be the winning ticket. There's no yeah. doubt. I've got a lot. I, I internally have a lot of questions when I'm out hunting this time of year about my level of aggressiveness because yep. you, like personally as a hunter, you're trying to take advantage of this vanishing window, right? Exactly. So you might want to be aggressive on the flip yep. side. These deer have been pressured for a very long time now. And so they're yep. becoming more and more, you know, quick to burn out because oh, yeah. they've been dealing with hunters for months on end now, especially after, you know, the two or three weeks mm -hmm. of November where there's been, you know, every bow hunter in the world's gone out there let alone a lot of states have a gun season open by now. Yep. So I'm constantly trying to balance out, you know, how aggressive can I get? If I want to camp out somewhere and give it time, how do I do that and not burn this mm -hmm. spot out? Um, calling, decoying, rattling, all that kind of stuff that seems really hot to trot on November 1st. You know, is that too risky now on November 27th? Because every Yahoo has been doing it for 27 mm -hmm. days. Um, what's your take on just like aggressive stuff like that? Calling, decoying, um, you know, just dealing with that pressure versus, you know, burnout type of risk reward situation that we yep. have now three months into the year. What's your take on that? So I'm very aggressive in being mobile and moving. I'm not afraid to bump a buck out of his bed. Um, my philosophy with how bucks bed are, if they catch you and they blow out, the bed did its job. That buck will come. He's going to come right back. Yep. Why? that spot did exactly what it was supposed to do it either winded you uh, he saw you he heard you i mean you know so if you try to break into my house three nights in a row and my alarm system catches you every time i'm not going to go move houses i'm just going to be i'm just going to make sure i change my batteries and my alarm system because that's doing the trick like I, i'm not leaving my my house and my alarm system is doing what it's supposed to do to keep me alive I'm not going to go flee the country and move six states away. I think a buck's the same way. So for me, I'm very aggressive. Um, what I'm not aggressive on, and this blows a lot of people's minds, and I've written quite a few articles and I've done a lot of podcasts with uh, uh, the gang over at WCB and, and even on my own series, the CC Hunt Files with Working Class Bowhunter, about this, and, and it blows people's mind every time. And they're like, I think half people believe me, half people think I'm a liar, but it is what it is. I do not call. I don't decoy. I don't use scents. Um, honestly, right now in my my pack at home, I don't even think I have a grunt call in there. Um, it's just not my jam. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be smelled. I don't want to be heard. I'm the guy that wants a buck to walk by completely oblivious to me even being there. And at 37 yards, I let the air out of him. Um, he has no, he, no, absolute no clue. So I am not aggressive in any way, shape, or form when it comes to calls sense um it, it's just not worked out for me um I, I got asked this question not that long ago out of like the 21 or 22 p and y or better bucks that i've killed over the years i have one that fell um to calling one um the amount of big deer that i have blown out and scared away via sense calls it's a lot so for me it's just not my jam. I have no confidence in it. Now, if you were to go call uh, Austin Chandler from Working Class Bowhunter, if you were to go call Ross, Ross Bigger, um, even Kurt, um, those guys, 
they get after it. Mm-hmm. They rattle, they call, they think I'm crazy, <laughs> but they, but they get it though. They're like, Hey man, what works for you works for you, you know? And for me, yeah, I'm not a scent guy, not a call guy. So when it comes to that stuff, Oh, I'm the least aggressive you'll ever meet. Cause I don't even take the stuff to the woods with me. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you last time I packed in horns, um, rattle bag, et cetera, et cetera. It, it's just, just not my jam. Um, but I'm very aggressive in moving and going after a buck. I feel like when a buck is killable, you got to pin your ears back and go in and go after them. I think a lot of guys sit back and wait for this perfect opportunity, perfect day, perfect this. And I think guys let opportunities get away from them because they don't go hunt a buck because they're waiting on all these stars to align. I don't think stars align a lot. I think a lot of big deer get killed because guys go in and put themselves in a position for that deer to walk by. He might walk by, he might not. But if you're not there, he's definitely not going to walk by you because you're not there. So I'm, I'm very aggressive on tactic wise with being mobile. Um, I'll, I'll get right up in a buck's face close to where he beds, um, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't bother me one bit. You tell me I've got to go call a buck in and I'm going to be a nervous wreck. That's just not my jam. <laughs> like you said, it goes back to confidence, right? Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Let's say we're kind of transitioning more into, and I think this could be applicable to late November, but also December or January or whenever. When we're in that late season, you, know, you talked about how you you want to be aggressive in finding those deer and getting close to their bedding areas. You talked about how you like to pick up that pattern again when they return. Yep. How how do you go about getting that pattern again? Get finding that hot sign or pe- putting the pieces, the puzzle pieces together to develop a pattern on a deer in the late season when it just seems so easy to trigger this deer kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. I want to get all this information about what this buck's doing, but if he wins me one time, he might be nocturnal for the next month and a half. So how do you personally go about, you know, whether it be getting camera pictures or scouting on foot or whatever you're doing, how do you start putting that late season pattern together without letting them know that you're onto them? So I try for me, the wind is everything. I, I, you know, a white tail lives and die by his, by his nose. I'm living and dying by the wind in late season. Um, I try to let my glass spotting scope binoculars and my, 
trail cams do all my work for me. I don't go down in the timber. Um, I am, I am being as, as, you know, least intrusive as I possibly can trying to just find the buck or a good buck. Once I do get some photos or I do see one. Okay. At that point now, I will start to dive into the timber if need be, which typically usually I've got to do. And I will strategically based off that wind only go in on days when I know I can step in, hang a camera, check a camera, hang a stand, you know, everything is based off the wind and I can't base anything off the wind until I get some pictures of a buck. And then I mark everything down. So a buck comes through at 10 o'clock at night. What was the wind doing? He comes back through at four in the morning. What was the wind doing? Big deer do things based off of that wind. There's a rhyme and a reason why. So my first step is I need to figure out what wind and why that's going to lead me to, okay, based off that, he's probably betting here or here. So now I'm staying away from any areas that he can pick me off, coming and going from a stand, coming and going from a camera while he's bedded in those spots. Um, last year was a prime example. I hunted that giant eight that I killed. I hunted him 76 days for 30 of those last final, probably, well, let's see the, the last 20 out of 30 days, last 25 out of 30 days. I thought that buck was dead. Um, I got a photo of him on a Tuesday night, right after dark coming from a South facing slope with the wind out of the West knowing that as he worked off this south slope, that wind was going to come right across all the wide open fields. He was heading up to cut cornfields. That was allowing him to scent check everything as he made his way across this south-facing ridge. The next day, another west wind. It's negative 20. It's even colder now. I know it's going to be brutal, but I know this buck's going to be on his feet even earlier. I put a stand and stick set from Novix on my back. And I went in and did a hanging hunt and I killed him that night at five o'clock. Now that's ultra aggressive, but the window to get that deer killed was about two days. I had West winds for two more days, brutally cold. I knew the deer were, I knew that buck was betting on that South facer. He was going to try to get as much sun as possible. I knew he had to move because it was so brutally cold, foot and a half of snow, deer have to feed. And I mean, when you lay all day and get stiff like that, I, I knew those deer were going to have to move. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go in, hang a set, and hope that in the next two days, this buck's going to walk by. He ends up walking by at 37 yards the next night, and I let the air out of him. That was a super, super aggressive move, but that was my window. I didn't have time to get daylight pictures of him i didn't have time to analyze everything it was okay he's back it's a west wind this makes sense he's betting back on the same south facing slope that he betted on in early season he's coming to this cut corn i have got to get my butt in between those two spots and hopefully he's going to walk by me i got two days of west winds and after that it's straight north wind for the next four or five so my window was two days and i'm like you know what this is going to, and, I, and I, I'm not one to sugarcoat it. I'm like, this is going to suck <laughs> yeah. hanging a set. So I left at 1.30 in the afternoon. By 2.45, I was set and ready to go. It's, I mean, my hands to this day are still frostbitten, <laughs> and my right foot is still frostbitten. 
Um, you know, I mean, it wasn't fun by any means, but I knew that was my window. Um, my mom and dad at friends were like, you're nuts. There's a weather advisory. Don't be breathing in the cold. Don't be out there. I'm like, I get that, but this is my window. If you're not aggressive and you didn't go hang a stand and you didn't get in there and mix it up, that deer doesn't die. And that's the only reason why I killed that buck is because I had to unfortunately pin the ears back, put on a million layers, stick hand warmers all over myself and just go get after it. And, and it paid off for me. But like I said, it was a very short window and I knew that. And, and in years past, I'd set back. Well, let's wait and see if he shows back up. Well, let's see if he daylights tomorrow. And that's been a mistake. On that buck, I said, nope, tomorrow's the day. I'm going in. I'm hanging the set. If I don't kill him Wednesday, I'm going to hunt it Thursday. Another West wind. You know, so it was a very aggressive move. But like I said, very short time window. And I've learned over the years, there's just times when you've got to be aggressive and you just got to pin the ears back and go after it. And you know, hey, he might not have walked by either one of those nights. Yeah. But I felt like I had odds in my favor. I felt like those were my windows. I had no choice. You want to kill this buck, you're going to have to brave the elements and just go get after it. Yeah. And unfortunately, or, or unfortunately for him, fortunately for me, it worked out that way. And he walked by at 37 and I was able to get him killed. But, you know, that I think is a, a good example Um of being really aggressive in late season, but with a plan, I knew I could get in and get out without being seen and detected. He wasn't going to see me or win me from where he was betting. You know, I had a very strategic plan. It's just, I had to act quick. There was no, you know, I remember changing the, the kids schedule around with their mom and she, you know, she works, you know, her and I have a great relationship. She works with me all the time when it comes to hunting stuff. I'm like, Hey, I got to change this around what we're doing. You know, I'm like these next two nights I got to hunt. She's like, dude, I, I get it. Like I, get it done. Like, you know, which was great. Cause the boys had kind of been following me all year with that buck. And I, I think they knew more about that deer than anybody else. Honestly, they were, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah they, they were talking about him at school and, and I'd have, you know, I went to parent teacher conference in like November and the teacher was like, so did we kill the giant eight yet? And, I, and she's not, a, <laughs> she's not a hunter by any means, but uh, yeah. So, so anyways, yeah, it all worked out great, but you know, could I, you know, is it always going to work out like that? No, but that was one time where I'm like, Hey, history repeats itself. If you don't get aggressive right now, this buck's not dying. Yep. And I really truly don't think there was another window of time to kill that deer because I shot him January 26th, the season ends the 6th of February, there wasn't going to be maybe but one more West Wind night for the rest of the season. So those two days were my days. I, I had to I had to get in there and mix it up. And uh, I paid the price on my hands, but I do have a, a giant eight hanging on the wall. So it was so all well worth it. <laughs> and you weren't kidding about frostbite? Like that wasn't exaggeration? You literally are frostbite? Oh, no. oh yeah, both both my hands. Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, both. Both my hands are, um, they were purple for a while. They didn't turn black, but the doctor told me flat out, you know, he's like, you, you, uh, you, you're going to have this forever. Like this is, this is going to be a thing. So like, if I have a cold beer, um, I can maybe have a beer or two, um, without a koozie, but if I'm going to sit around and have five, six beers with a buddy or something like that, oh, after about the second one, I, I've got to have a koozie or I got to be switching hands all the time. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's. 
I definitely paid the price. I shoot a hinge, so I never wear gloves, and if I do, they're like cut off. So I had hand warmers in my pocket, but what it was is that hinge is brass, and then the grip on my bow, um, that's what really got me was I was holding my bow. I was at full draw two different times. I probably had my hands on the release and on the bow for five or six minutes, and I could feel it sticking. I knew it wasn't going to be good, but you know, when you've got a world-class eight in front of you, probably the biggest eight I'll ever hunt. At that time, I wasn't really too concerned about the yeah. hands. Now, looking back, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> man. Um, so I, it seems like a big part of the success there is the big part of a lot of late season hunts, which is timing. Um, you had this weather window and then you had the camera picture that told you like he's close. Um, I want to kind of get a little more detail on both of those things, but let's first start with the camera thing, because I think for a lot of guys, you know, like you mentioned, they're, they're kind of waiting for the stars to align during the late season. Um, and pictures, you know, whether you're waiting for all the stars to align or something to align, pictures can be a big part of that when it comes to your late camera or sorry, Mm -hmm. late season camera strategy, where where are you placing your cameras in the late season? Mm-hmm. And are you running all cell cameras during this time of year? Is it mm-hmm. traditional and cell? Like how does mm-hmm. that mix up look at this time of year and how do you use them different if so? So I'm I'm trying to run as many cells with lithium lithiums as I can because that's gonna I don't have to go in and change batteries. I don't have to go in and check the SD card and I can have up to date real time photos. Um for me, I'm looking for high volume areas of deer. To start with, I want hot food source, standing beans, freshly cut cornfield. Um, maybe it's an oak ridge that dropped late and the deer are just digging like crazy for it. I want to find hottest feed source. I want to find the, the main conjunction or the, or the main, um, I guess you could say the hub of where all the local deer are coming to feed. There's usually somewhere that's super hot at this time that's where I want to be. So I'll scout, find that. Um, for me, it's a lot of egg fields, a lot of farm country. So it's typically usually some type of field or some type of, maybe it's some standing beans. Maybe it's, um, like I said, in, in, in Oak Ridge that they fell late and it's just getting pounded now, but I'm looking for highest areas of volume when it comes to deer, because I'm not necessarily worried about what time, a buck showing up to this at this point, I just need to know, okay, this is where this deer is concentrating on feeding. Now I can backtrack him and try to figure out where is he been? Why is he not getting here until an hour after dark? You know, now I can start to put the puzzle pieces together, but I'm looking for, you know, basically food, 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 food. Cause right now that's all deer are worried about. They're worried about feed and cover. So once I figure out where the hot food source is, now I can backtrack and start figuring out based off the wind. Um, I, I'm a huge note guy. Um, I think I do more homework for elk, whitetails, antelope, and mule deer and turkeys than I ever did in any college, any <laughs> year of college or high school. Um, I'm always jotting stuff down constantly. Um, wind direction, barometer, weather fronts. Um, I'm like I said, I'm a big pattern guy. So the analytics of this for me are huge and patterns usually always jump out at me. So on this late season deal, um, it seems like there's always a certain wind direction that they love to use, especially in daylight. If they're going to come to a food source or they're coming to this certain spot, 
There's always some type of wind direction. Typically, that's going to allow them to scent check for a few hundred yards where they ever get there. Um, they're on high alert. They've been hunted for months, so that all makes sense. So that's kind of my philosophy is, is figure out hot feed, and then I'm going to backtrack based off the wind, which should unlock the keys to, okay, where are they bedding? Because once I figure out what wind he likes, that deer is coming from a bedding area to get to this feed source. Typically, he's going to have the wind in his face or quartering to him all the time. The entire time in the late season, that deer wants to know what is out in front of him. Um, you know, he's not going to walk with that wind at his back. He's been hunted for months. You know, we're talking a mature buck. So that wind unlocks a lot of secrets to me. Once I can figure that out, what this deer likes, that usually unlocks where he's bedding, where a staging area might be, et cetera, et cetera. And then from there, I can figure out, okay, where's my highest percentage play to kill this buck? Do I need to be 30 minutes off the food source? Cause he's never getting here in daylight based off my cell cams, but he's here right after dark. So he is moving in daylight. He's just not getting here in time. Okay. I need to, I need to kill him where he's staging up, where he's transitioning from that bed to feed pattern, or maybe he is daylighting on the food source, but it's only on a South wind or it's only on a Southeast wind. Okay. When am I going to have those winds on those winds? I need to be right there, you know, because it is nice to not have to go into the timber. Um, I try to set things up where I don't have to go down into the timber and I can hunt more or less on edges or close to edges where I'm not having to go walk through the woods. Because like I said, you know, you bump one doe during this time of the year and she blows for 20 minutes and then everybody else blows. And then before you know it, all 30 deer have blown out and now you're completely wrecked for the next five days. Uh -huh. So I'm trying to be as, as you know, the least amount of intrusive as I can with this. Um, but it is, it is a system, you know, and sometimes you got to kind of think quick on your feet, just like, you know, the, the big eight from last year, that was a, a picture. He's alive. Okay. Based off what I know, he's probably betting here. He's coming here to feed. I've got the picture of him doing that. I got to get in the middle tomorrow and kill him. So sometimes it's, it's, you almost got to put together a really quick plan. Other times it might take a week or two to really figure a buck out um, and figure out the best approach to killing him. You know, and like I said, the, the wind and the hot food source for me, those are the two things that really kind of hold the keys to the car, I guess you could say. Yeah. Do you give any consideration to these other factors that, that frequently get brought up really the whole season, but definitely in the late season too, like the weather, like those temperature drops, the frigid oh, yeah. cold, snow, oh, yeah. uh, yep. moon, anything moon-related, barometric pressure. Yep. Do any of those factor in for you? So I'm a huge red moon guy. You know, there's certain days of the month where the, you know, the sun is setting or the, the, the sun is setting, the moon is rising. Um, I like, you know, I like that, that new moon right after those red moon dates. Uh, I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a big new moon guy. Um, that stuff all does correlate, but weather is king. Um, I don't care what the moon's doing. You get a cold front coming in cold front coming out, or even the backside of a cold front in the first warm front day where those deer are like, Oh my gosh, it's 30 degrees instead of 10. Mm -hmm. Those big drops, high or low, are great. And let's be honest, I mean, 
you know, deer can only sit in the cold for so long before they have to go replenish calories. So like last year was a prime example. That big eight had been gone for a long time. I mean, we're talking weeks. I had seven or eight cameras running, cell cams running for that buck. I thought he was dead. But when that cold spell come in of three or four days of negative 20, negative 15, two foot of snow, he had to go to a hot food source and that deer had to start moving way earlier than what he was doing. He come back to his home area, come back to what he knew, bedded on a ridge that he knew was safe. It was south facing. He's getting the sun. So, you know, yeah, I mean, weather is a huge factor. You give me cold and snow in January. And I'm honestly going to tell you that's my favorite month of the entire whitetail season to kill a big buck. You give me cold and snow in January, I am a happy, dangerous man. <laughs> yeah, especially for someone who likes to pattern deer, right? Because uh, yeah. that yep. works in favor for that style of hunting in a yeah. lot of ways. Yes, my that makes me extremely happy and, and my confidence level soars when I see January 2nd, it's going to be 15 degrees and there's a six inches of snow coming tomorrow. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, if I have a buck tag in my pocket, I am, man, I am chomping at the bit to get after it. Yeah. So what do you do when that never comes? Like what's, let's say you're after either you're after a specific yep. buck or any buck, but it's late season and the season is dwindling yep. and you're just getting mm-hmm. mild, lousy temps all the way through. Mm-hmm. At some point mm-hmm. do you just say, well, it looks like the forecast is never going to give me that great temp drop. I just got to do something crazy. I got to try anyways, or or what do you do oh, yeah. when you're stuck with lousy weather? Yeah, I mean, I think you've got to go back to, you know, you, you've got to hunt smart and still have a plan, but I think you've got to hunt with confidence that, okay, one of these nights, uh, this buck's going to get up on his feet and he's going to want to come to this hot food source and he's just going to decide, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to come here early and you catch him working from bed to feed or you shoot him on the edge of a field or whatever. You know, I think at that point you're at a crossroads. You can either not hunt because conditions aren't in your favor or you keep grinding and you hope that the one or two nights out of those 30 days of lousy weather, he decides he's going to get up and move on a wind that he likes. And you're just there. Um, for me, Man, like you said in the beginning, I'm a grinder, so I'm going to continue to hunt. I'm going to hunt smart. I'm going to continue to hopefully let the patterns play out for me. Um, That can be mentally tough because, yeah, it's not fun to hunt in 45-degree weather and mud and muck throughout January. Um, That's not really forcing deer to move. But that also deters a lot of guys from hunting. You know, there's a lot of guys that don't want to hunt in 45, 50 degree weather. And there's a lot of guys that don't want to hunt in negative 15. So both extremes usually take a lot of guys out of the woods. That is one good thing. Um, the other thing you got going for you is, you know, on, on, on warmer weather days, um, when you do have a temperature drop, that usually significantly gets deer up on their feet. So let's say it's going to go from 45 down to 20. It's 45 during the day. It's going to drop down to 20 at night. The next day it's going to be in the thirties and it's going to go back up into the forties, fifties again. Okay. That one day is probably going to be your window. You need to be in the woods because that, that weather drop, even though it's still not super cold, you dropped 12, 15 degrees. And I realized 30 is not that cold in January, but when it was 45, 46, now you're dropping down to 30. So I guess you just got to look at it as you got to find 
confidence and you got to find the positive in lousy weather in late season um, and still find those little windows where, okay, it's not cold, but it is going to go from 45 down to 30. That's a 15 degree drop for a deer. That's a big deal. That's going to get them on their feet. You know, you got that barometric pressure rising and falling because of that before and after that day. Yep. Those are all things that are going to get a deer to get up and start moving. So yes, is it ideal? No. I'm the guy that wants cold and snow the entire month of December, January, and early February. That's me. Do I always get that? Absolutely not. But when I do get that, boy, oh boy, I'm happy. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm right there with you. Here's my here's one thing I'm wondering about. Like, I'm curious how you pull this off with the with the mm-hmm. late season grind approach, mm-hmm. which is you know keeping after deer day after day after day. Mm-hmm. You know, knowing that you got to catch that one or two. Or maybe that one mm-hmm. time he makes a mistake in December or January mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. How do you do that without educating deer, especially on your exits? You know, those evening hunts, mm-hmm. getting out is so hard, especially mm-hmm. when you're trying to hunt yep. near a hot food source. What's your access yep. and exit strategy this time of the year when it just seems like really particularly hard to get mm-hmm. away with it? Um, especially mm-hmm. getting, you know, if you're anywhere near food at the end of the night, yep. uh, how do you, how do you pull that off? So for, for me, I'm still, I'm, I'm basing everything off the wind. So I'm not going to hunt on nights when that wind is not in my favor. I hunt winds that are good for the deer. So like if a buck is, he's a fan of an east wind. Okay. I'm going to hunt on east wind nights, but I'm going to make my setup to where that east wind also is good for me and the buck. I think a lot of guys, they, they want to hunt a wind that's good for them, and that's usually not a good wind for the buck. And yeah. you've got to think of it as, okay, what wind does this buck like? Now, how do I make that wind? So there's a lot of setups of mine that are very edgy. I am quartering a wind, so I am on the verge of disaster, <laughs> but I'm, I'm allowing myself an opportunity if I play my scent control right, I play my thermals right. I should be able to get away with this. Very rarely is it a perfect scenario, and I think that's where some guys get in trouble. They're looking for this perfect wind for the buck, and then they're trying to make that perfect for them. I'm the guy that flirts with disaster because I'm a little more aggressive on that. Normally, I'm not able to get a perfect wind for the buck and make that a perfect wind for me. I've usually got to kind of run the quartering wind deal where, yes, can I get away with this? Yes. But could this spell disaster for me too? If deer would loop around me or they, they run maybe a, a, a J hook around mm-hmm. me. Yes. So I try to set myself up with all those things in mind. Um, I'm staying after a buck with cameras, with glassing, with, with trying to figure everything out best I can, but I will not come off my wind plan. I will not hunt on a wind that is not right for me. As far as I know, I'm going to probably get winded or like, I'm never going to throw caution to the wind. So I will have multiple stand setups. That's going to allow me to hunt different winds, but realistically maybe only one or two of those three or four are probably where he's going to be killed. The other ones might be observation sits. The other ones might be in spots that are a few hundred yards off. Could he walk by? Yes. But realistically, it's just giving me opportunity. Yes. Is there an opportunity for sure? But I'm not going to get aggressive and hunt him hard on nights where everything's not in my favor as far as mainly that wind. Um, because, yeah, 
if you get sloppy with entry and exit, if you get sloppy with the wind and you're getting winded, I mean, it's, it's only going to take a few times and every deer figures out what's going on. Um, one or two times and a big buck figures it out. So for me, you know, I'm very, very particular with what nights I'm going to hunt entry and exits huge. Um, I don't get sloppy with that. If I have to loop clear around a half a mile and I'm not getting back to my truck till seven o'clock at night and it's dark at five 30. I mean, honestly, yeah, it does suck at times, but that's just the game. Sometimes you got to play, um, trying to get off of fields or off of, food sources where there's a lot of deer. Um, I'm a big proponent of, I run a, um, so it's funny. I don't call for deer, but I'll call to get deer out of a field. So I'll run, um, I'll screech on an owl hoot, which will sound nothing like an owl, but it's a foreign noise that they don't mm-hmm. know what's going on. And they'll, 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 none of them will blow, but they just get the heck out of there. 40 minutes later, they're all right back in front of my camera. Sometimes I'll bark like a dog. Um, I've, I've taken a, a coyote howler in there with me. I do things to clear the field that is not human related. Um, I've had my dad drive back before on a tractor. Um, and, and, and Hey, you know, it's past dark. Hey, you need to spread manure, come back here close to this field and spread it. And that's going to clear this field for me. They're used to tractors. They're used to trucks, you know, whatever. So I, I kind of get creative on that because yeah, you don't just want to say, ah, screw it. I'm just going to get down and five or six old mature does watch you climb out of this tree walk across the field yeah i'm definitely not playing that game um that is flirting with disaster in a way that i I don't want to flirt with it so (laughs) yeah yeah that can that can uh spiral a a late season hunt real quick yeah yeah absolutely what when it comes to that time of year clint what do Mm -hmm. you do what do you do that other hunters or that your buddies think is nuts? I right, like I know you talked about in, in during the rut you're not much for calling. A lot of people think mm-hmm. you're nuts there. But what about in the late season? Mm-hmm. Is there anything you do that's off the wall or unexpected or just different than the usual that folks when they hear are like, "Huh?" I definitely think the cold weather and being able to to grind in that in that type of environment, a lot of people are like, man, a deer's just not worth it to me for that. And I get that. Um, I mean, I definitely get that, but I think for me, my biggest thing is I zero in even harder on my tactics and my plans because I know these bucks are on edge more. So I think I almost get sharper as the year goes on and not lazier. And I think it's a, that's an opposite for a lot of guys. I think a lot of guys in late season are lacking confidence. They're just kind of lackadaisical. They're just kind of doing it because they need to do it because they still have a buck tag, but they're not really wholeheartedly in it. Um, they're just kind of like, well, yeah, I hunted, uh, you know, I didn't really have a plan. Um, not really sure what the wind was doing, but yeah, I was out there. I was trying. I am very, very, very calculated. And I'm, I'm probably more calculated then than I am any other time of the season. And me getting sloppy in my younger years cost me late season big deer. Um, there's nothing worse than sitting three or four hours on a 15 degree day only to have a buck wind you because you got sloppy and didn't adjust your setup for that wind that day and said, ah, screw it. I'm just going to hunt the stand that's already there. I don't want to climb. I don't want to do a hang and bang or a mobile type hunt tonight. I just don't feel like it. 
Buck comes in at 70 yards and wins you. I mean, that's, you know, that happened to me a time or two. And, you know, that kick to the gut was enough for me to be like, okay, if we're going to do this late season deal, we're going to do it with a plan and a purpose and we're not cutting corners. And I think now for me, I'm honestly more particular and probably more calculated then because I know the stakes are higher times running out or in the fourth quarter. Um, at this point in time, I've got to pin my ears back and go, but I've also got to have a, a plan of attack. That's almost foolproof. Um, so yeah, for me, I, I think it's probably my attention to detail is even greater now than it is any other time. And I think a lot of people, it's the opposite of that. And I yeah. think that gets a lot of guys in trouble. And like I said, that has got me in trouble and I've learned from that. Um, put my hand on the hot stove once or twice and was like, man, I don't like that. It burnt. So <laughs> I, I don't do that anymore, you know? Yep. It's it's hard, though. It is really hard that time of year. That's for sure. Yeah. All right. Yep. I, want, I want to do one last – I got one last scenario to run past you, Clint. And Perfect. This is a, this is a hypothetical kind of situation I want to imagine yourself in. Let's imagine okay. that for whatever reason, I have control over your hunting this year. We'll yep. say it's, we'll say it's next year, and yep. before the season starts, I tell you, hey buddy, sorry, but you can't hunt at all this year except for one day. You only get one day this hunting season, and you gotta kill, uh-huh. you gotta kill a mature buck. And if you uh-huh. don't kill a mature buck on this one day, I'm mm-hmm. taking away your hunting license for the next ten years. Okay, all right, man, so super high here. Super I like high stakes. This. I like this. All right, I like pressure. Really? I like it. And I'm gonna limit your choice of days and tell you mm-hmm. that you can't pick any day before November 24th, the day that this podcast would hypothetically come out. So mm-hmm. you get to pick one single date on the calendar between November 24th and the end of your hunting season. I yep. would like to know what date you would pick, why you would pick mm-hmm. that date. Mm-hmm. And then I would like to hear what you would, you know, assuming you pick that day and assuming whatever conditions you want, what would be your best setup? If you could describe for me the kind of spot you'd mm-hmm. want to be in, what all, all the pieces to this perfect late season setup might look like to try to kill a buck with uh-huh. these very, very high stakes. Can you walk me through what day and how you do it? Okay, I'm going to go with probably around January 20th. I'm going to want, uh, so at this point in the game, muzzleloader seasons are over, shotgun rifle seasons are over. Most guys are out of the woods. I've pretty much kind of, you know, everybody's back to the NFL. We're in the playoffs, Super Bowl time, college football's done and over with, um, but the NFL's still rocking and rolling. So yep. people still drinking craft beer from Christmas or watching football. <laughs> um, I'm going to want cold and snow. Um, cold and snow that time of the year it forces deer to feed forces deer to get on their feet they're not able to sit there and burn calories all day and into the night Um, they want and have a need to get up and move and get to food sources get to feed so my plan is on this one day i've got cold and snow Um, at this point i got a buck figured out i know what wind direction he likes chances are um, he's going to bet on a south facing slope somewhere, which is going to get all the sun that, that keeps him in the sun. Now, what I've learned from a lot of these 
mature bucks are they like to move with that sun line so that deer will get up and do a little bit of moving to keep himself in the sun but he's not working his way out to a food source so knowing <clears throat> that we've got all this cold and snow um, he probably hasn't been pressured a whole lot here recent because a lot of guys have hung it up they're done hunting obviously it's the end of season so he has been hunted for months but i'm gonna go i'm, I'm banking on i have not pressured this buck i've, I've only got one day so this deer, realistically, he's got a need to feed. I've got the weather in my favor. I've got the wind figured out. Um, I've got pinned down in the south-facing slope that I know he likes to bet on. I want to be somewhere probably between 75 and maybe 100 yards off this hot food source. And as this buck works by at about 25 yards, quartering away, I'm going to bend the limbs back and I'm going to crush his soul and I'm going to party the 20th, the night of the 20th, the 21st, the 22nd, and probably the 23rd. Hell yeah. That's, that's my strategy. That's my game plan. Um, I like for it. me, I just, you know, it's tough to be a really, really good, cold, snowy, late season day. If you got a deer on a pattern, and you've got things figured out, I mean, it really does stack a lot of chips in your favor. Um, second place would be early season right off the rip that first week based off of what summer pattern I have and all the pieces I've put together all summer trying to figure a buck out. That would be, if we had a consolation prize date, it would be like September 26th or 27th when our season opens. Yeah, I like the plan. It sounds uh, it's well thought through. I think you'd be able to pull it off. You'd be able to keep on hunting and enjoy those beers. Um, oh man, there's nothing it. better than a than a good cold uh, a good cold frosty beer after a uh, after an arrow runs through a big buck in January. I've, I've been fortunate enough to have a couple of those, and it uh, yeah, those beers they just taste a little bit better on those nights. I'm just telling you, man. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Clint, I uh, I appreciate this, man. It's been fun. I uh, I'm I'm feeling good about my late rut, late hunts coming up here now with some new Heck ideas. Yeah, um, can you real quick give folks the rundown of where they can see your work, where they can listen to the podcast, where they yeah. can find some of your writing, anything else you want to plug? Yep, absolutely, my man. So um, I'm uh, I'm the host of CC Hunt Files uh, via Working Class Bowhunter platform. I do a lot of stuff with. The gang over there, Kurt and Doug, Eric, Austin Ross, all the guys over there. I've um, been with them for quite a few years now. Um, still still come on the actual original series. Um, they've got the, the Drury Deercast um, series. I get on that from time to time. But I've got my own series. It drops every Wednesday. CC Hunt Files. Um, as far as writing goes, man, I've been in that game for, I think this will be my 12th year now been with Peterson's bow hunting like full time for, uh, going on six years. So that's kind of my home base. Um, shout out to Christian Berg and, and all the guys over there. Um, yeah, they, they take good care of me. They, they let me kind of pick and choose what I want to write and, and kind of, I can throw my ideas out and it's been a long journey. I remember in college I started writing and, um, man, I think I got turned down like 16 or 17 times by like the big boys in the industry. And then mm -hmm. finally, uh, Finally, uh, Christian pretty much said, he's like, man, I'm, I'm just getting tired of you. Like, I'm just going to give you a <laughs> shot because, you know, I, once again, being a grinder, he's yeah. like, man, he's like, you know, we don't really have space for you, but we're going to give you a go. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just, you know, I'm very thankful for that opportunity and that's blossomed into, I've written for 
North American whitetail and deer and deer hunting, bow hunter, outdoor life, field and stream, pretty much any of the major ones. I've, I've been blessed to be in, in those, um, you know, home base, like I said, Peterson's bow hunting, but I freelance for a lot of companies and a lot of different publications. So that's been a lot of fun, you know, and, uh, yeah, man, just, uh, just a dad of two that absolutely loves the bow hunt and, and loves to share, uh, in my trials and tribulations of, you know, my, my bow hunting season and whatnot. So that's, uh, to me in a nutshell, man, uh, it's, it's pretty crazy really to see kind of, uh, uh, as a kid, my mom and dad always tell the story of, you know, I'm five, six years old. I'm at the dinner table. I'm eating pork chops, mashed potatoes and green beans or something, whatever. And I've, I got a deer and deer hunting magazine open and <laughs> they're like, Hey, you got to put this down. You got to put away. We're going to eat, you know? And my mom tells the story. She's like, you know, you were five years old, looked right up at me. Mind you, I can't read yet at that time, but looked right up at her and my dad. And I said, well, one of these days, you guys are going to see me in here. And they're like, oh, yeah, I bet I, I, I bet we will. And, and so, yeah, it's crazy, man. Here here I am. I'm a, I'm a blessed man. Um, as far as social goes, Facebook, Clint Casper, Instagram, Casper Clint. I run the CC Hunt Files Instagram page, so you can catch me there um, and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, I, I can't can't thank you enough for having me on mark and can't thank everybody enough for all of your support over the years with my writing the podcast the social media i mean it, it's honestly 99.9 percent .9 of it has been absolutely positive and great um and you know it's it's just been uh it's been a lot of fun to be in this industry and kind of make a living in the hunting the hunting space and the hunting world and uh man it's been great to connect with so many people guys like you and whatnot that without the industry and social media and different things i'd never connect with so yeah, it's uh it's pretty it's a pretty crazy ride, but it's uh it's been a fun one and I'm not looking to jump off anytime soon. Yeah, man. It's uh it is a a super blessed thing we get to do. I'm thankful for it, it as really well. Is. And uh and really thankful uh for you taking some time to to talk tonight too. This is this is this is great. So, appreciate you, Clint. Hey, absolutely, Mark. Anytime. We'll uh, have to get you on the uh the CC Hunt files here soon. I'll have to cook up uh I'll have to brainstorm up a uh, a good uh, a good topic of conversation. There's quite a few you and I could dive into, but give me give me Sign. a day or two to brainstorm something up, and we'll uh, we'll get you on. Sign me up. I'm I'm up for Perfect. it for sure. And uh, go go and shoot a mule deer, all right? Oh right, man, that's the plan tomorrow. I got a I got a couple mile hike in to get to this spot, but uh, I think it's uh, man. I'm gonna grind it out for another six days, and I, I think it'll pay off sooner or later. We'll see. All right, I believe in you. Good luck. Thanks, Mark. All right, and that is it. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you being a part of this community. Thank you for taking that action I mentioned at the top of the podcast. Thanks for sending those emails to your senators. Let's get this thing done. Let's have a great hunting season. Let's have fun out there. I think when this podcast comes out, it's going to be right around Thanksgiving. So I hope you're enjoying some good times and good food with your friends and family. I am thankful for you all. I hope you're thankful for what deer and deer hunting and this deer hunting community have brought to you. Let's relish it. Let's savor it. And until next time, let's stay wired to hunt. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now. And if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some meat eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls and I like to use pot calls. 
mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls because I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him. I just have Yanni use his. Then I'll have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today.